Father, our hearts are full this morning. We've enjoyed beautiful worship, songs to you, Father, songs that uplift your name. And we pray that you will continue to lead the children in this church as they grow, that they will learn that there is nothing in this world more important than to know you and to serve you alone. Father, I pray as we dig into your word, Lord, that you will speak to us clearly, Father, that nothing will distract us from the message you want to give to us this morning, Lord. It is my prayer in Jesus' name, amen. Joy is a major theme in the book of Philippians. Is as I mentioned, a four short a page letter that the Apostle Paul wrote, and he, he managed to insert the words joy or rejoice in those tiny few paragraphs. He inserted those words about 16 times. And that's not even counting the times where he talked about gladness, being glad. You would think that someone who spoke so much about being joyful and rejoicing that he probably enjoy a sweet life filled with roses, paved with rainbows. However, it was not so for the Apostle Paul. In fact, his life was the complete opposite. So there is plenty for us to learn from this tiny letter to the Church of Philippians on how to live joyfully, even under the worst of circumstances. So there's a few points that I wanna go through today. And the first is that we learn a lesson about joy being or stemming from gratitude. The whole book of Philippians is just one big thank you note to the church of Philippians, because this church was Paul's absolute favorite. There were hands down his favorite people to hang out with. He, they were generous, they were loving, they were kind, they were attentive, they were devoted to the ministry. And so every time Paul had needs, he called upon his favorite people, the people of Philippians or, or Philippi. And every time they would respond to his call. And so as he was writing this letter to them, he was physically in jail. He was in jail and waiting for a day in court. Not sure what was gonna happen after that. And somehow the church of Philippi managed to send him money and some resources for him. And it's not because they were rich and overflowing in an abundance of monetary or you know, material things. They just wanted to give from the little they had. And so he starts his letter in Philippians 1, verses 3 to 4, saying, I thank God every single time I remember you. In all my prayers 
For all of you, I always pray with what? With joy. That's right, with joy. His joy stemmed from the gratitude in his heart. And can you just picture him in his confinement cell? He's thinking back at all the times that he's been blessed by this church. And just the thought of that brings happiness and joy because of his gratitude, the gratitude in his heart. He can't help but rejoice at the thought of having such godly friends. One of my favorite stories in the book of Philippians is found in the second chapter when the church knew that he was in jail and he was in trouble. Uh, Paul had been very ill and as you can imagine, he had no way of making money and so he probably had all sorts of needs. And so the church sent Epaphroditus a good leader in the church, and they loaded him up with material things and money donations for Paul and sent him on the long journey to provide for Paul in his hour of need. However, when he was on his way, he got very ill. And by the time he got to Paul, he had been so close to death. And Paul immediately sent him back to the people of Philippi because he says in verse 28, he said he wanted the church to rejoice when they saw him alive and well. Instead of thinking of his own need, he wanted the church to rejoice and to be glad. And because Paul was filled with joy in his heart and with gratitude, he wanted to share that joy with his beloved church at Philippi. Which brings me to the next point. Joy is contagious. Have you ever wondered why when you hear someone laugh, even if you have no idea what they're laughing about, you can't help but just join in and smile and laugh, right? That's why they added the sitcoms in the TV, they added those recorded laughs because, you know, it'll make you feel like you're having a good time. I want, to, I want you to watch this short clip. Joy is contagious. That's why it's so lovely to be around children because their pure, unadulterated joy is contagious. You can't help but smile. You can't help but laugh. According to science, laughter really is contagious. See, your brain 
hears the sound of laughter and immediately sends a message to the muscles in your face. It says, get ready, this is gonna be good. <laughs> Just get ready. Your body responds to joy. Your brain responds to joy. It is true what the famous poem says, laugh and the world laughs with you. I'm not weeping, guys. I'm not weeping. <laughs> weep and you weep alone. Our brains, it seems, feel more at home with joy than with sadness. Now, however, the opposite is also true. Just like joy is contagious, bad attitudes are contagious as well. There was a farmer who had a, a group of pesky crows in his backyard. He was fed up. And so he grabbed his shotgun and he was just gonna scare them off. So he goes out and starts scaring them off with the shotgun. But what he didn't realize is that his own parrot had joined this band of bandidos. And after a few shots, he walked over to see the fallen uh, birds and realized that his own parrot was badly injured. One of his children asked, Dad, what happened? Bad company. <laughs> Proverbs 13:20 says, walk with the wise and become wise. For a companion of fools suffers harm. Paul himself wrote in 1 Corinthians 15:33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. See, Paul had learned that only trouble can come when you surround yourself with bad company. So he chose his friends very carefully. When we say the word bad company, of course, the worst, comes, the worst comes to mind. We think alcohol and drugs and all that. But what about people who zap the life out of you? How about the drama seekers, the gossipers, people with no regards for others, those who only think of themselves? You want to pray for them. You don't want to make those people your best friends. A recent study showed that neural responses can predict a person's closest friends. And you know how they do that? This is because the more time you spend with someone, your brain literally starts looking alike. You start, your neural responses to the world around you become the same. In other words, you become your friends so much so your brains start to look alike. You begin to view the world in a similar way and respond to the way that they view the world in a similar way. Bet you that makes you rethink your friendships a little, doesn't it? See, Paul was very careful when he chose his friendships because once he found a godly friend, he held on to it like a treasure. Good, 
godly, supportive friends. They're hard to come by, but they're a blessing from above. One of his, fr- one of his closest friends was Luke who stood by him until the very end. And the first time they met, it was literally the work of the Holy Spirit. The story of the Philippian church doesn't start at Philippian 1.1. It actually starts in the book of Acts. Luke, the author of Acts, wrote extensively about the beginnings of the church not just Philippian, but all the churches and how they came to be and also about Paul's missionary trips. So at the end of Acts 15, we find Paul and another good friend, Silas, and they're getting ready to embark on a trip, his second trip. The first trip took them to Asia Minor, and so on this trip he decided, I wanna go back to those churches that I helped start during the first trip. It had been about five years since he returned from that trip and, and he was itching to find out how the churches were doing, how they were establishing, how, how they were thriving. And so everything was set for the trip. And the plan was to head towards Derby's and Lystra and Iconium. And by this time, another friend A friend that Paul deeply respected, Timothy, had joined the duo and the three traveled through the regions of Phrygia and Galatia. And so now let's see what happens next. Let's go to Acts 16 verses 7 through 10. It says, when they, and I want you to mentally highlight that word, when they came to the border of Mysia, They tried to enter Bithynia, but the spirit of Jesus would not allow them to. So they passed by Mysia and went down to Troas. During the night, Paul had a vision of a man of Macedonia standing and begging him, come over to Macedonia and help us. Verse 10 says, after Paul had seen the vision, we, and I want you to mentally underline that, we got ready at once to leave for Macedonia, concluding that God had called us to preach the gospel to them. You notice how the pronouns were changed. Verse 7 talks about they, but starting verse 10, the author Luke changes it to we. We're going to cover that in a little later, so pin that. Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they were in Galatia and they were headed southwest toward Ephesus, an incredibly important city at the time. And so verse 7 says that they were forbidden by the Holy Spirit to preach the word in Asia. Which brings me to the next point. Joy comes from unexpected places. We should never be afraid of those divine interruptions. See, in Paul's mind, he feels like he is doing a good thing, and he was. He is doing the work of God. He is going to visit the churches 
in Asia Minor, and those same churches he helped started, he wanted to see thriving. He wants to be a good support to them. Isn't that a noble thing? It sounds like a very spiritual thing, doesn't it? Dare I say even a holy thing. He had absolutely nothing personal to gain. Only the satisfaction of seeing Christians and the churches thriving and walking in the will of God. He just wants to do his part for the kingdom of God. And I know this never happens to us, right? No one ever plans a vacation only to wake up to a, a flooded house, right? No one ever has a day filled with meetings and deadlines only to get a call from a friend in need. No one ever has paid for college before only to find out that there's an, an ill parent and a serious illness. This is completely foreign to us, isn't it? Of course it isn't. Our lives are filled with interruptions, but the more time that we are spending with our Heavenly Father, the better we will get at recognizing those divine interruptions. The times where He is pushing us in a different direction, even when the previous option sounded like the most logical, the most spiritual, the most holy, the most blessed of plans. Yes, interruptions are annoying, and yes, they take a while for us to get used to, but it is in those divine interruptions where God accomplishes His best work, if we allow Him. Moses' interruption looked like a burning bush. Mary's interruption looked like a wedding scandal. Jonah's looked like the city from hell. And Paul's interruption looked like a crazy idea. Go into a different continent where you don't know a single soul and preach the gospel. And thankfully, Paul didn't resist. He didn't even think twice about it, and he, and he heeded the Lord's calling. And aren't we glad he did? Because Paul leaned into that divine interruption, the gospel entered the continent of Europe through the city of Philippi. Paul was able to meet Luke. Remember, they and we, that's the time where Luke joined the trio. He was able to meet Luke, who would become his most trusted friend, his personal physician, because Paul was constantly under illness. And more, most importantly, eventually, the men who would bless the world with the Gospel of Luke and the Book of Acts. Paul never fully understood the impact his response to that one divine interruption had on the spread of the gospel. 
The same may be true for us today. That that monetary donation that God is asking you to give, that smile to that lonely person, the phone call which interrupts your busy schedule, the move across the country, We'll never fully know this side of heaven when God is working on a bigger plan for the sake of his kingdom and we're just one tiny little piece of the puzzle. So Paul and his friends now arrived at Philippi and they look for a place to worship but there's no synagogue. And they have heard that there were a group of women that gather at the river. Sounds like a song. Gather at the river every Saturday faithfully to worship and to pray. So that became their synagogue and every Saturday they would go and gather with this group of women and worship together. And they joined them in worship and as they were worshiping and praising God, probably reading scriptures and singing out loud, there was a businesswoman selling purple, purple cloths. Her name was Lydia. Lydia had a profession that was dominated by male, a male-dominated profession, which was selling purple cloth. She was a very successful businesswoman in this particular business, which tell us that she was probably very savvy, maybe a little feisty, a take-no-prisoners kind of gal, my kind of gal, But her heart, her heart was tender for the things of God. Somehow God had stirred inside of her that he was the true God. And so when she heard Paul preaching, or not preaching, but teaching by the river, she begged him to teach her. And not only teach her, but please baptize me and baptize my entire family. Hopefully she asked their permission first. She was the very first convert of the entire continent of Europe. And as uh, speaking of unexpected events, that men that Paul saw in his dream turned out to be a woman after all. And this woman would help create, build, establish, lead the church in Philippi. So when she heard, sorry, so the next point that we have is joy can be found in the midst of trials and tribulations. See, not everything went as easy as this for Paul and his friends. One day on their way to the river to worship, on a Saturday, they were being followed by a possessed girl. And uh, the girl kept pestering them, if you will. Now, it was illegal in this culture, a Roman culture, it was illegal to preach anything or teach any religion that contradicted their Roman traditions. And so they were very careful. They wanted to keep everything under wraps because they knew 
that they, those, uh, that, that law was heavily enforced. And so they were very careful to keep it under wraps. But they just one day could not take it anymore. And so this girl finally yells, these men are the servants of the Most High who proclaim to us the way of salvation. That sounds like a good thing, but this was obviously a demon wanting trouble. This was not the way Paul wanted to share the gospel. Let's just put it that way. I think he envisioned more, a more peaceful and more sit around the table kind of approach, but that's not what happened. See, <clears throat> Paul turned around and prayed that in the name of Jesus Christ, the demon would come out, and he did, because demons cannot resist the name of Jesus. There was only one problem. The girl was a slave and her master relied on her demon possession as a business of divination. And so no demon, no business. And he did not like that at all. And so Paul and Silas were stripped naked of their clothes, were beaten and, and were tied down and thrown in jail. So now what? Phone a friend? Call his lawyer, cry, blame God for bringing him here. Silas could have easily turned to Paul and say, dude, why you drag me into your mess? Is that what they did? That's not what they did. Acts 16.25 says, about midnight, now they were bruised, they were bloody, they were hurting, they were in pain probably cold in a cell. Paul and Silas, instead of complaining, were praying and singing hymns to God. And the other prisoners were listening to them. Joy can be found in the midst of trials and tribulations. It can be found when we are certain that we are standing firm in the will of God. Joy is not something we can come up with, but rather something that is born from a heart that trusts God and his will for our lives. There was no doubt in Paul and Silas' minds that they were brought to this place to preach the word of God and that they were center in the will of God. They were certain that if jail and even death is what it took to accomplish the will of God in this place, then they were happy to submit their will to that of God's. And God did use their pain to spread the gospel in this continent. It says, verses 26 to 31, suddenly there was a violent earthquake and the foundations of the prison were shaken. And the doors open, and the jailer, the jailer woke up, and when he saw that the doors were open, he thought they had escaped, right? And he thought to kill himself. But Paul shouted, do not harm yourself, we're all here. 
And the jailer called for lights, rushed in, and fell trembling before them and said, what must I do to be saved? Amen. Believe in Jesus and you will be saved. Their joy in the midst of a terrible situation impressed this jailer so much that he instinctively knew that their peace and their joy in the calm of the storm could not come from themselves but a higher power. Amen. And he wanted to experience that same peace and that joy. Someone once says, said, the way that we act should make others want what we have with God. So over 10 years passed, and the church in Philippi is now well-established and thriving. And they've been strong supporters of Paul's ministry and any other churches that he's asked donations for. And so now as he sits in another jail, he writes to them, and he's contemplating everything that he has been through for the sake of the gospel. Philippians 1, 19 through 21. He ends verse 18 saying, yes, I will continue to rejoice. And then he continues, for I know that through your prayers and God's provisions of the spirit of Jesus Christ, what has happened to me will turn out for my deliverance. I eagerly expect and hope that I will in no way be ashamed, but will have sufficient courage so that now, as always, Christ will be exalted in my body, whether by life or by death, for to me, to live is Christ and to die is gain. Years later, after being through several jails, beaten, shipwrecked, insulted, and betrayed by his own church people, there was one thing that Paul was certain of. With the help of God, he would not let Satan steal his joy. He was certain that whether he lived or whether he died, delivering was coming his way either way. For him to live was Christ. And if dying would serve God, then it was gain. In every situation, he learned to choose joy because he trusted the one who held his life in the palm of his hands. The enemy wants to steal our joy. Without joy, we forget to be thankful. Without joy, it's easier to miss those unexpected divine interruptions. Without joy, the world can't see a loving God who sticks with us even in the worst of circumstances. When the world looks at us, what do they see? Do they see joy? Do they see the joy that only God can provide? Or do they see complaining? Or do they see arguments? Or do they see grumbleness? The only way to accomplish this is to commit our ways to the Lord each and every day. Every morning, Lord, give me joy. Amen. Do not let the devil steal my joy today. Amen. Seek 
joy daily. Seek joy daily. And when we are joy, when we exhibit joy, may the honor and the glory go to God alone. May our joy point the world to Christ. Let's pray. Father, this world seeks to sap the joy right out of us. But Lord, you came to give us life, and you came to give us life abundantly. In you we find the joy that we cannot produce on our own. And so today, Lord, we pray that we will make seeking joy from you the priority in our lives. Because when we choose joy, the world begins to recognize the joy giver. And the joy begins to look for the light, the light that is you. And in so doing, Lord, we become reminders to this world that you are the only one that can give that joy. Help us to make that the first thing we do every day. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.